0: Number it from 1 to 10. <laughs> <laughs> Was a phrase back in my student days that always struck me with a thunderbolt of anxiety. Am I the only one? So Mosaic, we say that the best way to engage a, a pop quiz is with a paper and something to write with and with your book open. And uh, that happens to be the best way to engage the message also today and every day. So a paper, something to write with, and your Bible open. Living the Christian life is sometimes a test, but the good news is, is it's always an open book test. Amen? Okay. So look, um, we're not going to take a test. I'm just going to ask you, we're going to get our wheels of thought, turning a little bit, Um, I'm going to give you 10 phrases, or sentences, and I'd like for you to just write for those 10 phrases if you agree or disagree, okay, you're not going to get a grade, well, actually, so here's the way grace works, Um, yeah, um, you're going to fail the test no matter what it is, Jesus has already passed the test, and it's his grade that's in the grade book by your name, okay, that's what grace is, So just relax, 10 statements. I want you to agree or disagree with each statement. If you agree, just write an A. If you disagree, write a uh, a D. You don't have to write the questions, okay? All right, so number one, wise people don't make mistakes. Agree or disagree? Wise people don't make mistakes. All right, Uh, number two, wise people learn from their mistakes. Wise people learn from their mistakes. Number three, really wise people learn from other people's mistakes. Okay. Four, wise people often think they know it all. Wise people often think they know it all. Number five, foolish people often think they know it all. Okay, agree, agree, disagree. Number six, Typically, foolish people are good listeners and learners. Foolish people are good listeners and learners. Okay. Number seven, typically wise people are good learners and listeners. Wise people are good learners and listeners. Number eight, the wiser a person gets, the more they realize just how much there is that they don't know. Okay number uh that's that's a the wiser a person gets the more they realize just how much there is that they don't know number nine the more foolish a person is the more likely it is that they don't realize how foolish they are okay the more foolish a person is the more likely it is that they don't realize how foolish they are and number ten usually showing gentleness is perceived as weakness Agree or disagree, usually gentleness, usually showing gentleness is perceived as weakness. All right, so I hope y'all made 100. It's already in the grade book. Okay, you're good. Relax about that. Um, And uh, so I just hope that gets us thinking a little bit about wisdom because that's what we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks. Um, We have one more message uh, next week on wisdom. So, in the past weeks, what we've learned about what the Bible teaches is that uh, Carolyn said that, that uh, both the Hebrew and Greek understandings of wisdom had three components, all right? The, uh, the, the process of gaining wisdom to evaluate choices, the process. The second thing is the recognition of the right choice, okay? Recognizing the right And the third thing is the action of living out the right choice. So it's process, it's recognition, and then it's action. Okay, three parts to wisdom. Carolyn and Christopher both taught us how intrinsically connected humility is to wisdom. We have to be aware of our tendency to assume we know what's best when actually it's very possible that we are mistaken. So that uh, we need to be hyper-aware of our need to depend utterly on Jesus. To know him, to study his word, and to listen for his voice. So Jesus can, as Chris said last week, not merely educate our head, but more importantly, so he can deal with and transform our hearts. Know him, study him, listen to his voice, so that he can transform our hearts, not just fill things in our head. All right, those are the things we've learned. Today, I hope we will let the Apostle Paul contrast the wisdom of the world with the true wisdom of God. And another phrase that Paul uses for the wisdom of God is the mind of Christ. Okay, and we want to address also one of the biggest falsehoods in our culture today that being humble means being weak. I hope we'll see that living out the humility and the gentleness of Jesus actually takes courage. Okay, so here on the screen is the key point for today's message, and I I didn't, you know, you're free to write it down, okay? The key point is, to gain the wisdom of God, ask the Holy Spirit to give you the mind of Christ, which is Jesus's world-confounding combination of humility and audacity, To gain the wisdom of God, ask the Holy Spirit to give you the mind of Christ, which is Jesus' world-confounding combination of humility and audacity. So today we're looking at the first two chapters of Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, which was an absolute dysfunctional mess of a church in a Greek city that was notorious for its immorality the church there was as ethnically and culturally diverse as you could get most of that church were baby christians so you had baby christians who came from a very proud very strong very strict monotheistic jewish culture side by side with baby christians who came from a very proud very pagan and very licentious greek culture it was a match made in heaven Because it's only in heaven that that match could have been made. What could possibly go wrong, right? Well, for one thing, according to Paul, both factions aiming at the gospel from their respective adversarial positions could both spectacularly miss the main point of the gospel. Jewish tradition believed in a Messiah who would be a conquering king. Gentile culture in Corinth was enamored with the wealth and the military might of the Roman Empire. So both Jewish and Gentile Christians struggled to embrace Jesus as a humble servant who had been crucified. That, Jesus, defied both the conventional wisdom of the Jews and the conventional wisdom of the Greek Gentiles. So let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 1, verses 23 through 25. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23 through 25. Here's what Paul says. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So after Tuesday's election, us political junkies have been hearing the phrase conventional wisdom a lot. Um, As in, the conventional wisdom before that election from almost all the experts about what was going to happen was wrong. (laughs) Bigly. And so here's Paul 2,000 years before the 2022 midterm elections warning the Corinthians and all subsequent Christians who can read that human wisdom is fallible. So, so fallible. And uh, in these verses, verses Paul bluntly contrasts the wisdom of the world to the wisdom of God. And the phrases that ricochet like verbal bullets here, uh, Paul says that true wisdom is the power of God, the wisdom of God, True wisdom is Christ. Is Christ crucified? True wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit. Later on, he'll say that in chapter 2. True wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit in spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. True wisdom, Paul says, is righteousness and sanctification and redemption. True wisdom that comes from God is, Paul says, having the mind of Christ. But we humans are so fallen, so prideful, so mistaken in our assumption that to baby Corinthian Christians and to us today, all those ways of describing God's true wisdom are foolishness. According to the conventional wisdom of us experts, God doesn't know what real wisdom is. He doesn't know what real power is, but we know. Paul's stubborn. And he doesn't get tired, so he keeps hammering away at these baby Corinthian Christians. Let's continue with 1 Corinthians, and now let's look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. He says, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. I just love that. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. Okay, I wanted you to see what this is with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So take out a clean sheet of paper, That's one of the phrases in school um, that I hated to hear. Um, Another phrase that maybe you heard, I don't know if they still use this phrase or not. People who are still in school, we're so sorry to hear that. One day that won't be true for you. Um, You'll still be a lifelong learner. But (laughs) if I said to you, all right, put on your what? Thinking caps. Do they still say that today? Okay, I'm okay. Some people, all right, some people, all right, yeah. Ever wonder where that expression came from? Put on your thinking cap. All right, even if you haven't worried, I'm about to tell you. Even if you haven't wondered, the first time something like that appeared in the English language was in the mid-1700s. But it wasn't called a thinking cap then. It was called a considering cap, considering cap. Here's an image right here on the screen, okay? Okay. The considering cap was this tall, uh, it was a military hat, it was a Grenadier's hat. Um, To us, it kind of looks like a Pope hat, but it's supposed to be like a military hat. Um, And it had three sides, and each side had a different phrase. The first side said, I may be wrong. Okay, this is your thinking cap. I may be wrong. In other words, be humble about what you think you know. All right. The second side said something like, the odds of something happening might be 50 to one, but 50 to one is not 50 to zero, okay? In other words, consider the unexpected outcome as a real possibility, not just last Tuesday, but, you know, in our own lives. All right, just set that aside, Uh, digression here, completely unconnected to the considering cap, Professional statisticians actually have a rule that combine those first two sides of the hat. It's not connected with the considering cap at all. But there's an English statistician who was named Dennis Lindley, and he came up with this rule for statistics that he called Cromwell's Rule. Cromwell has nothing to do with statistics. Cromwell was Oliver Cromwell, Oliver Cromwell, who was a leader in the English Civil War in the mid 1600s, he was a leader of the Puritan forces. All right, and, uh, but he, he had uh, many famous quotes, but one of his famous quotes just kind of inserted itself into Lindley's consciousness and, and it struck him. And so uh, here's, here's the quote, Cromwell was writing a letter to the parliament in Scotland that was giving him a lot of grief and uh, in his frustration and desperation, Cromwell, who was a very religious person, pleaded with this group, and he, I'm paraphrasing slightly, but he said, I beseech you, for God's sake, think it possible that you might be mistaken. I beseech you, for God's sake, think it possible that you might be mistaken. That's the quote, and this statistician heard that quote and said, you know what? That's good not just for the Scottish Parliament, that's good for statistics. So I'm gonna call this rule Cromwell's Rule. And what Cromwell's Rule says about the science of probability is, if the odds are a million to one, you would be wrong to think that a million to one is the same thing as a million to zero, okay? Um, which I guess you know, is um, axiomatic if you play the lottery. Um, but okay, look, <laughs> hear me good. I want you to consider Cromwell's rule. I don't want you to play the lottery, okay? Um, But you get the idea. A remote chance is still a chance, so don't disregard it. The third side of the considering cap had the words, I'll consider it. In other words, I'll consider it. Okay, so that is the thinking cap. So once again, we get this idea that um, if you wanna be wise, reflective, you're gonna consider the fact that you might be wrong, you're gonna consider the fact that an unexpected outcome might actually happen, and you wanna live your life reflectively, okay? Not just on automatic pilot, um, you know, but reflective, examining your heart. There's something in us that Uh, doesn't like humility, and we see it as a weakness. But there's also something in us, the better angels of our nature, that actually uh, are drawn to humility. Or uh, I should say it's it's, it's more like we have a profound dislike for arrogance, if you consider arrogance and humility. So we're we're double-minded, right? We hate arrogance, but we also hate humility in a way. Which brings me to the um, detective series that every baby boomer would know, and every Gen Z person has never heard of, called Columbo, okay? All right, so so look, if you've never, if you never watched that show, it was in the 1970s, I know, that was a long time ago, but there's a thing called the internet, and you should watch just one episode of Columbo, and all you'll need to watch is one episode, because the plot was the same in every show. (laughs) Um, But it was a great show. Columbo was this rumpled, scruffy, absent-minded mess of a detective and every episode he he went up against this powerful sophisticated brilliant overconfident murderer who was sure that he or she had committed the perfect crime and the whole show is watching Columbo unravel that arrogance just bit by bit by bit by bit by bit until the last scene whammo he's got him. And um, we just love that, you know. And that's the dual nature right there. There's something about humility. I don't really want to be that way, but I really don't want to be arrogant either, right? And here's Paul, two thousand years before television was invented, just showing the same thing. That phrase in uh, uh, in Second uh, sorry, First Corinthians, chapter two, verse three. I came to you in weakness with great fear, and trembling. I just love that. I mean, I don't know about you, but lots of times that's where I am. I'm weak and I'm afraid. Um, A little bit later on in uh, um, verses 14 through 16, Paul goes on. He says, "...the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that came from the Spirit." Uh, Sorry, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that came from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. So when you look at Paul in chapter 1 and 2, when he's talking about the wisdom of God, he's talking about, you'll hear just multiple phrases, the wisdom of God, the the mind of Christ, uh, the wisdom of God is Christ, um, just multiple phrases like that, and and the world thinks it's foolishness. The world doesn't get it. Um, The mind of Christ. So... How can we find out more about the mind of Christ? Well, I'm thinking of two places in the New Testament. One is in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is where Jesus gives the Beatitudes. You know, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Okay, that's the mind of Christ. He's saying this mindset is blessed. Um, You're brought down with with mourning. Uh, Blessed are those who are gentle blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness in other words blessed are those who care about the ethics not just the outcome you know the wisdom of the world is Machiavellian the ends are justified sorry the the ends are justified by the means in other words if I want to win whatever I do to win is justified with the victory okay that's the wisdom of the world Jesus says nope the people who care about the means are blessed, okay? Ethics over outcome. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. The, blessed are those who suffer persecution for Jesus' sake. Paul told us, and then another passage is in Philippians chapter 2. Um, This is Paul talking. It's Philippians chapter 2. And Paul tells us to have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on to describe what the mindset of Jesus Christ was. And Paul says, Jesus emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. He humbled himself. He became obedient. Does that sound like power? The world doesn't have a clue about real power. It never has, not 2,000 years ago and not now. Is having humility wimpy, as many in the world might say? Is gentleness a sign of weakness, as many American Christians in recent years have come to believe? is taking on the mind of christ only safe to do in calm and peaceful periods but not in today's hostile culture because in dangerous times as the wisdom of the world dictates having the mind of christ only leaves you helpless and vulnerable is the mind of christ with its humility and gentleness just too risky these days well think about paul Go into the Corinthians to preach the gospel to a hostile city. He went there, he says, in weakness and with great fear and trembling. But notice, even feeling the weakness and the fear, he went. Give Paul credit. That took guts. Think about the students in the 1960s like John Lewis. And the sharecroppers like Fannie Lou Hamer and the pastors like Martin Luther King and Andrew Young facing down the Ku Klux Klan with nonviolent civil disobedience, being beaten and arrested and singing gospel hymns at the top of their lungs in jail cells. Their humility and gentleness destroyed segregation laws and transformed us regionally and nationally. Wimpy, weak, It seems like facing adversity, disregarding the wisdom of the world with great fear and trembling, but also with the mind of Christ, his gentleness and his humility actually takes some audacity. But here's the point. When we do it, fully aware of our own weakness and fear, but doing it nevertheless, that's when we see a demonstration of the Spirit's power. When we have the audacity to defy the wisdom of the world, and with weakness and trembling trembling rely on the mind of Christ to lead us, that's when we will see a demonstration of the Spirit's power. All right, I want to tell you a couple of stories from my own life, very un-Paul-like and very un-John Lewis-like. When I acted out of weakness and fear, when I turned from the wisdom of the world and tried to follow Jesus' teaching and saw a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And if you've heard these stories before, I apologize in advance. Thank you for bearing with us. but I'm going to tell them anyway. Okay. All right, so here it is. Uh, You know, just like Carolyn, when she first met me, she was surprised to learn that, no, I had never been a bodybuilder. And, and uh, or a professional wrestler, Stone Cold Steve Moore, uh, sorry, Stone Cold St- Steve Legacy? No, never. You two might be surprised to hear that when I was in middle school, I was awkward and skinny and very much a nerd. It's surprising, I know, but it's true. And in eighth grade PE class, I was tormented by a bully. Yeah, I will call him Bobby, but his real name was Godzilla. Um, <laughs> No, not really, Uh, but we'll stick with Bobby. He was a big guy. He was a football player, and he had very cold blue killer eyes. There was no warmth in those cold blue eyes. For some reason, he liked to punch me a lot. And when I imagine what hell might be like, I see something a lot like a middle school boy's locker room. Okay, now to the wisdom of the world, bullying is about power. Right? It's about physical power. And to the wisdom of the world, there are two choices. You can either uh, take it and not fight back and be a coward, or you can fight and get pulverized. Okay, it's two choices. But the wisdom of God says that He can make a way where there seems to be no way. He can make a way where there seems to be two bad choices, He can make another way. Okay? I didn't want to get killed so I was too afraid to fight back and as you can imagine that made me miserable (laughs) so awkward skinny nerdy and miserable okay Uh, and and I was desperate so I, I prayed to God and then I came across Paul's advice in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, at the end, Paul says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Those verses... Paul would call them spiritual words, were a revelation to me. And they cast a different light on my reluctance to fight, which was a comfort. And uh, imagining Bobby with burning coals heaped on his head was also enjoyable. God forgive me. So it's obvious that my adolescent interpretation of this passage was way off right but here's the thing i was coming to this situation in weakness and with fear and trembling and i was trusting that god's power not mine would bring the solution to the problem okay so i kept praying and kept reading romans 12 and lo and behold when our community soccer league began i found myself in a game i wasn't a good player okay but it was community league so you know how it is i participated and uh, in the middle of this particular game, I looked to the sidelines and there was Bobby just watching with his cold blue killer eyes. And then something happened to me that I can't explain. But suddenly I went from participating to playing. I found myself in the middle of the action, hustling is what coaches called it. I had no idea. I was hustling. <laughs> I was feeling courage. I was playing with abandon. I was disregarding pain and injury. I made a difference in that game. I actually helped my team not lose. Yeah, we tied. (laughs) But, But the next day at the beginning of PE class, as we sat on the bleachers, waiting on the coach to show up, here came Bobby. And my stomach dropped. And I thought to myself, oh no, here we go again. And I braced myself for the punching. But this time there was a different look in his eyes. He looked nervous for some reason, and he sat down beside me, and he had a hard time looking me in the eye, and then he said in a nervous and a kind of a shaky voice, that was a good game you played yesterday, Steve, and he never bothered me again. And I knew exactly what had happened. (laughs) I had seen a demonstration of the Spirit's power. All I had to offer in that situation was weakness and much fear and trembling, and God offered a demonstration of the Spirit's power. The wisdom of the world says that bullies have power, and they do. That punching hurt. But the wisdom of God knows that bullies are no match for the Spirit's power maybe the most common way we turn from the wisdom of God and buy into the wisdom of the world is in our approach to managing money. Okay. So when the question is, how much of my income should I be giving to the work of God's kingdom, the centuries-old answer in the Judeo-Christian tradition is 10%. That's what it means to tithe your income. Okay. Now, time out. I need to stop here and be really careful. Carolyn would be mortified to find out that I brought up this subject of money, but Carolyn is in Ecuador, okay? <laughs> and what happens in Mosaic, and even the people who are watching on stream, welcome. What happens in Mosaic doesn't have to get to Ecuador, okay? <laughs> but So here's why we have to be careful. There are people who have been burned by the church and hurt by the church and have been guilted and guilted and guilted about not giving enough and so when you bring this situation up all the defenses come up and the blood pressure goes up and the person says i knew it i knew it i knew it all you care about is getting my money and if you are feeling anything like that right now i want you to please feel free to zone out and just don't listen to anything that i'm about to say about this okay because this is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about fear and trembling and a demonstration of the Spirit's power, and it just happens that it involves giving, okay? Okay? All right. All right. And don't tell Carolyn. Okay. So, so according to the wisdom of the world, and according to most sane people when they look at their bank accounts, giving 10% is nuts! It's the financial equivalent of jumping off a cliff, which is wise people don't do. But the wisdom of God says in Malachi 3, test me on this. Try tithing, giving 10%, and see if I won't be faithful. See if I won't bless your socks off. Jump off this financial cliff and I will catch you. When Carolyn and I made that decision 30 years ago, we were living paycheck to paycheck. We were renters. We had just had a baby. We were giving 1%, maybe 2% to the church. One night we heard a talk from a 70-year-old saint, an old country boy named Sam Pursley, who talked about his life of tithing and who quoted Jesus in Luke chapter 6. Again, what Paul calls spiritual words. Jesus says, give and it shall be given to you. A good measure pressed down and overflowing will be poured into your lap. And he challenged us to take an audacious step. And so we jumped. And God caught us. And I want want to be clear. We didn't jump because we felt guilty. It had nothing to do with guilt. We jumped because we were hungry for more of God. And we jumped because we were tired of the anxiety that came from having our finances in disarray. And we were bored with our life on a spiritual plateau that didn't seem to be able to elevate any higher that's why we jumped guilt had nothing to do with it but from one paycheck to the next we went from giving two percent to ten percent and we saw a demonstration of the spirit's power and to us it seemed miraculous not once did we come up short at the end of the month in fact Probably the biggest miracle of all, we found ourselves managing our money wisely for a change, Um, pun intended. Um, And we, we actually started saving money. We actually started saving money. And in a year's time, we had saved up enough for a down payment on a house. So you talk about coming to a challenge and weakness and with fear and trembling. Jumping off that cliff did not seem wise to us, certainly not according to the wisdom of the world. Folks, taking the leap into tithing is not a wimpy thing. And if you've never tried that, and if you're looking for a concrete concrete way to trade in the wisdom of the world for the wisdom of God, to take a giant stride toward the gentle audacity of the mind of Christ, to clearly experience the Spirit's power in your life in the most practical of ways, tithing is a good place to start is definitely worth praying about. In weakness and with fear and trembling, we had stepped off a cliff and God had caught us and by his grace had unlocked a door that led us into a more responsible way of living that made us now homeowners. And it was in that home a little while later that God called Carolyn into ministry, which meant going to seminary, which meant paying for seminary, And it took us a year for us to discern the path into that calling. And and we we figured we could pay for the first year of seminary if we sold the thing that God had blessed us with back when we had stepped off the giving cliff. So one Monday in November 1994, in weakness and with much fear and trembling, we put our house up for sale. And the next day it sold. One year of seminary, paid for in one day by a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So we were on our way. The next step would come when the school year ended and we would both quit our jobs here in Augusta. We would move to Wilmore, Kentucky near Lexington and there Carolyn would become a full-time graduate student at Asbury Seminary and I would find a job I hoped as a high school history teacher and be the sole provider for our family on that humongous teacher salary. And one wrinkle in the plan was that I had already been teaching for five years and was pretty miserable. I had, twice I had tried to get out of teaching unsuccessfully to find a different job. I loved sharing history so much, but down deep I hoped God could make a way for me to figure out the secret of how to teach and not be miserable. And pondering all this, a strange, impossible, dreamlike idea came to me that perhaps somewhere in Kentucky there was this magical high school somehow affiliated with the university and that they would give me a job teaching history but also provide me with the resources and help me to be a better, happier teacher. Somehow they could fix me, but as far as I knew, such a place only existed in my imagination. And the reality was the job market for teachers around Asbury was hopelessly oversaturated. Time and again, I was told to expect before you get a permanent position, you will be a substitute teacher for two years. The school year came to an end. And on my last day with a guaranteed income, one evening as I walked across an empty parking lot at Sacred Hearts um, Cultural Center, our, our, our seniors had graduated, I was contemplating what Carolyn and I were on the verge of doing, and the wisdom of the world dropped on me like a bomb falling out of the sky. Both of us quitting secure jobs, going from paycheck, going from two paychecks to one, trying to support a full-time graduate student and the world's cutest toddler on one salary, a teacher salary, with no assurance of being able to find any job, let alone a, the misery of a teaching position, By any rational, realistic measure, it made no sense. It was reckless, insane. And as the enormity of it sunk down, I said out loud in a desperate prayer, God, this is crazy. And immediately he answered, clearly, calmly, with authority, he spoke into my heart, spoke spiritual words into my heart. Steve, he said, I will take care of your family and I will glorify my name. And instantly I knew what had just happened and I was so taken aback. All I could do was shake my head and say, Well, okay. It was such a shock. I just laughed out loud. But I knew I had heard a word from the Lord. So a few days later in Wilmore, Kentucky, I opened up the Help Wanted section of the Lexington newspaper and saw an ad announcing an opening for a social studies teacher at Model Laboratory High School on the campus of Eastern Kentucky University. Three weeks later, I had a job at one of the best schools in the state. We see a demonstration of the Spirit's power when we turn from the wisdom of the world And with weakness and fear and trembling, and with Jesus' gentle audacity, we take on the mind of Christ and obey. By the world standard, it's crazy. But listen, without tithing for us, there was no house. Without, uh, uh, Without the house, there's no seminary. Without seminary, there's no Reverend Carolyn Moore. If there's no Reverend Carolyn Moore, There's no mission team on the the outskirts of the Amazon rainforest right now in Ecuador, where there is one female Methodist pastor in this small town on the edge of the rainforest, one of three female pastors uh, in the Methodist church in Ecuador, who is struggling and needs a word of encouragement. And here is Carolyn Moore, who has just written a book about women in ministry. Okay. Without Reverend Carolyn Moore, there's no you and me here, now, in this room. No Mosaic Church. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Would you stand while we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, have mercy on us. We, We do not know what we are doing. We do not know. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give us the mind of Christ. Help us, Lord, to go deeper. Help us, Lord, to trust you. Help us, Lord, to find the truth in the gentle audacity of the mind of Christ and go deeper and grow closer and help to bring your kingdom in. Lord, I I pray if there's a person here who just is feeling your tug to go deeper, to set aside a a life in disarray and anxiety, to to climb up up above the spiritual plateau that they've been on for a long time. If you're speaking to a heart, Lord, I I just pray that you would have mercy and walk with them and give them an assurance it's okay. And I pray, Lord, anybody who is resisting what we're trying to say here, and it ticks them off, I pray, Lord, that you would just erase it from their head because that's not what this is about lord we want your wisdom we want your mind lord jesus we want a deeper life with you we want your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven we want your will to be done in our lives as it is in heaven come lord jesus come holy spirit and give us the mind of christ we pray in jesus name Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.